J.M. and the A.M. at 26 minutes after the hour, Tuesday morning, while Ellie Beer, of course, uh, leads Hatzalah Israel. And uh, his volunteers were on the scene, as you can imagine, at uh, 5 Rehov Agassi in Harnof, a place very, very familiar to so many people in this audience. Uh, the massacre that occurred uh, this morning during Shacharis has claimed the lives of four people. There are people injured. And uh, anybody with uh, concern about what's happening in Israel is obviously very, very concerned about this situation. Ellie Beer, welcome back to JM in the AM. Um, thank you very much. What did your volunteers tell you? I mean, I know you've seen scenes like this before, unfortunately. What did they tell you about this morning's episode? Um, the volunteers uh, that responded, they came literally from... A few buildings away, we had a volunteer who was on the way to shul himself, to the same shul. Uh, he davens there every morning. And uh, he actually uh, got the call that we got in the United Hotel. We got that call in our dispatch. We didn't exactly know exactly in the beginning what it is. And uh, when he got there, he was the first one to announce it as a multi-casualty incident of a terrorist who's still there and shooting, and, and the other guy was holding a a big knife and just slaughtering people. He saw the whole thing in front of his eyes. The um, we we know that everywhere and every landmark and every building, unfortunately, is a target. But there's something about the Harnof area of Israel of Yerushalayim. Can you describe it for us? Uh, wouldn't you agree that it would be the last place that one would suspect an attack like this would take place? Look, no one expected, uh, you know, I'm not sure that a terrorist should just walk in there. These terrorists were, were apparently uh, uh, Israeli Arabs who work in a supermarket not far from there. And no one expected anything like this happening. In a shul during chakras, people wearing towels and tefillin, no one expected anything like this. You know, we don't have, we have security in every mall in Israel. We have security in... Uh, in, uh, in everywhere you go, but no, no security in shores. We have thousands of shores every city in Yerushalayim. We have a few thousand shores. No one expected the, you know, a terrorist going in there, two terrorists, one start shooting, another gun slaughtering. This is like an event that's shocking everyone. Um, the thing that, uh, it reminded everyone the massacre that happened in the, in the yeshiva in, uh, America Zarab, if you remember a couple of years back. Right. This is something that, you know, no one, in a, in a normal mind, could imagine anything like this happening. Most of the yeshivas, though, I think, um, as you just pointed out, have security guards. They always notice a remote possibility. Uh, a synagogue, especially in a neighborhood like Harnof, nobody ever expected it. No, Harnof is a quiet neighborhood. It's uh, uh, never had suffered from uh, terrorism. It's not in the center of Yerushalayim. Very, very quiet. Um... Unfortunately, these terrorists knew exactly where the shul is. They knew where to come. They were familiar with the neighborhood. Um, when we, our volunteers arrived, we had dozens of volunteers who came right away. We had another paramedic, Yankee Ehrlich, who's an amazing paramedic. He saves lives in Arnold for many, many, many years, and he's a professional paramedic. He was there, and he didn't know the terrorists were still there while he was there. You know, in other places, when we have terror attacks, we, we forced our volunteers to come and protect it with a bulletproof vest and a helmet in case they have anything. He didn't know. He ran inside when they said people are hurt. He didn't exactly know when he said in the beginning what's going on. And he saw this 
these people with the Talisim laying on the floor, and he ran to one of these people to start treating them. He took out his intubation equipment, the oxygen and everything. While he's, like, starting to work on, on these people, he, um, he sees the terrorist right in front of his eyes. Terrorists started shooting towards him. He jumped above a table to hide, slipped on blood on the floor and hurt and broke his leg. He was seriously, he was, he couldn't move, but he knew that if he doesn't run away, he's going to die himself. Finally, he was able to jump a couple of steps down and hide. And now he's going through surgery in, uh, in the hospital right now. He's going to, this moment. Ellie Beer is with us. Funerals taking place in Israel. Ellie, of course, uh, uh, United Hatzalah of Israel. They're on the scene at all these events. Um, you know, we sit on this side of the world and we ask, you know, what's going to be? And you, of course, are right in the middle and the center of everything. Uh, what's been happening the last few weeks, and you've responded to uh, to episodes that have been very high profile, the light rail attacks, of course, and your volunteers were on the spot in the gush, and we see people getting run over by cars. Uh, how would you describe the, the tension and fear in the holy city right now? Um, how do, how do we, um, what we do is, uh, the people now are ready to see anything. You know, they've seen last few weeks terrible things, and now the volunteers are more prepared like years ago, in ancient father days. That's what the volunteers right now, they feel. Every moment something like this can happen and see terrible things and meet people they know. Unfortunately, a lot of the volunteers who treated the people knew the people that were treating. Yeah. And they knew the people that were killed. So um, it was something that we uh, we didn't, you know, usually we don't expect to meet people who are, who are killed, and we know them. You know, usually we treat 650 people every day. Very rarely we treat people that we personally know because we, it's randomly, you know. We, yeah. we get to the volunteers and we connect them by GPS so they, they, they could be anywhere in the country and get a call if they are closer. This emergency happened six thirty, you know, very early in the morning, where people were around the block of their, you know, where they lived. So they met, they met the people that they knew, that were murdered right there. And as you said, some even walked in on the terror attack themselves. Ellie Beer with us. Um, you, you just said something very uh, noteworthy: the the comparison of the fear, the tension, the terror. Uh, essentially is back to the Intifada days. We remember days when we would wake up here on this side of the world and hear of bus bombings and attacks of that magnitude. The attacks may be somewhat different in the way they're carried out these days, but the the fear and the tension are likely just like uh, during the period of Intifada. That would be accurate, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the days of Intifada were horrific days for, for every one of us. We never knew... We didn't let our kids go to shopping or or to uh, the mall or anywhere. It was very, very difficult to live in a very uh, scary situation where you never knew who was going to be the next one. And uh, we feel like it's coming again. We feel like uh, this time it's not the Palestinians who are living over the Green Line. It's actually the Israeli Arabs who are living in Israel. And they are the biggest threat now. And, and that's something that we... We're dealing with a situation where, you know, all these people are all around, and they are 
and who do we know, you know, what's going on? It's something that we never had before. They are legally hanging around Jewish neighborhoods every single day. Yes, yes, and, you know, a lot of them are very good, you know, just regular people, but who do you know who's, who's a, you know, you don't know anymore. You, you can go in a, see a person coming into a show, you think he's going to work there, and maybe he has a job there, and all of a sudden uh, you end up uh, facing him with a gun. And this is something, so we are in a very, very, you know, difficult situation now. Our volunteers, we have in your show line, we have 450 volunteers. All around the country, we have 2,500 volunteers in the United States. And every single one of them is thinking, and we are, we are thinking of new ways of how to deal with this situation, which we're not clear with it yet. We're, we're having meetings this week with this, you know, Israeli uh, security forces and maybe equipping our volunteers with some kind of a protection. Uh, some, some volunteers carry on their weapons. Maybe you have more volunteers to weapons. We we are there to save lives, and now we have to protect ourselves. And and since we're there so quick, and we saw this in the, the event in uh, with the tractor attack, and we saw this in the in the running over the cars that run over people. We sometimes we get there, the terrorists are still there. And how do we deal? What do we do? For safety comes first. What do we do? How do we deal with the situation? We have people laying there and bleeding to death while the terrorists are still there. We're not we're not used to dealing with terrorists. We're used to saving lives. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, your relationship with uh, Israeli security, Israeli government officials, is a very good one. And I'm not looking for you to criticize. Excuse me, not looking for you to criticize either of them. But uh, you have to wonder whether security officials and government officials at this point can control this situation. Is it getting to a point where people are losing faith? That local officials are unable to uh, to put these terrorists down and stop these types of activities. Look, I'm, I'm sure that they all doing very, very, you know, everything they could do to stop this thing. No one is just laying down and saying, "Okay, we're not doing anything." We have we have uh, administration in Israel is focused on security more than anything else. Now, yes, I do have criticism as a citizen of Israel. I live in Israel my whole life. And I have five children who live there. My wife lives there. We, we, my whole family's there. My mother's there. And I'm worried. My kids didn't want to go to school today after this incident. They didn't want to go. They said we're scared to go to school. And, and I think that the government is not doing enough. But they're doing a lot. And they're not doing enough as a citizen, I'm saying this. And as a fellow volunteer that's there for many, many years, I know that we had problems with terrorists coming into Israel from over the green line. And they finally did something to stop it. And today, no one could, almost no one could cross the green line. I mean, we still have problems. But what do we do with the people living within us who are problematic? And why do they release people that have problems? And they have some kind of blood on their hands. And they just release them after a couple of years. Yep. And these people are, are, it's like having a drunk driver back on the street with, with alcohol. So if you don't stop that or, or a sex criminal who is walking around in the streets, and he could any second he could do again, he could do these things. A lot of these people, like these terrorists today, and they come from families who, who who are drinking and eating terrorism for years, and they were in jail for for a while, and they were released, and uh, and or their brothers, or you know. So how do we how do we let these people just walk around the streets? So this terrorist who was working in the in the tractor company. 
and had other problems years before, and then he's back to his job, or a bus driver, or a car, you know. I had a, I had ideas that I gave uh, the government a couple of weeks ago after this event with the, with the driver who, who drove over people. How do we stop that? So to get, a, to get a weapon in Israel, to get a license for a gun, you need to go through a long bureaucracy to get that, you know, permit. Mm-hmm. Well, no one who has any kind of a security situation, problem, history, could not ever get a license but to, to carry a weapon. But to, to drive a bus or to drive a tractor or to drive a car, yes, if you're a good driver, you could just get it. Why don't they check the criminal and uh, uh, the, you know, all these history of these people when it comes to security? They just want to check a big check around background and say anyone that has any problem whoever threw a stone in a car, whoever was a threat to Israel in any way, how could they give these people permits to drive cars or buses? And anyone that should have a problem, and I said to them, there should be a law in Israel, anyone that has a problem, whoever drove, whoever once, ever, got into some kind of national security of Israel, should never be um, allowed to drive any type of vehicle, because that's a weapon. Even worse than a gun. Yeah. And all these things are, you know, people have to think, they have to stop thinking politically correct. We have to, to think about our children and, and our, our families before the politically correct. No, some of those ideas seem impractical, but as you just mentioned, they have to become practical. They have to become implemented. 100%. And this is something that's going to happen all over Europe and America if this is not going to be stopped very soon in Israel. Israel has to be the first ones to be, yes, aggressive about people who are driving the school buses, our children, and the tractors, and, and everything else. And we have to make sure that these people, they have a lot of them who are, are very good people. I'm not criticizing the whole community. They have a lot of good Arabs in Israel who are good people, who are surgeons in hospitals, and the people who are good people who are doing great, and they want to be good citizens. But the other ones who are rotten eggs should be taken care of immediately, and that should be, okay, they pay the price for a year, they set a jail, and then back into the they could do everything else. They should be, these people should be watched over 24 hours a day, and they should, they should not all be allowed to do many things that could be a threat to the country. Ellie Beer leads United Hatzalah of Israel, IsraelRescue.org. And as you heard, his volunteers, as we often say about, uh, about rescue workers in this country, his volunteers ran in to the terror attack and uh, started treating people even as the attack was going on this morning. Our condolences, of course, to all the families as the funerals take place as we speak. Ellie, continue your amazing work, and we should share really good news in the very near future. Amen, and I hope uh, Shem should give you a short for the 26 orphans that were left, and many people were hurt. Yeah. We pray for this speedy recovery, and as Ellie just mentioned, the, uh, the count, which I'm assuming is accurate, is that 26 orphans are left behind from this morning's attack from the four Mispalim, the four shulgoers, who were either gunned down or hatcheted, massacred to death this morning at 5 Rehov Agassi uh, at Congregation B'nai Torah, um, where funerals are taking place as we speak, uh, in the Harnof neighborhood of Yerushalayim.